0: So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. So some of us grow up in, well, what some would consider the Bible Belt. That could be Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, any of those states, Mississippi, Arkansas. Nothing wrong with that. Except when suddenly you start to realize, I'm a little bit different than the rest of the kids I'm growing up with. But maybe you don't talk about that. And maybe you keep pushing through. And then before you know it, you find yourself being a school teacher and doing some other things. And you finally realize, okay, there's something else that is calling me. Because you see what you want to do is show people the you that you see. And I'm so excited to be talking to an author about his new book, which actually is very similar to what I just said. It's called The UIC, and Danny Freeman is here to talk about his book, his life, and why he has chosen to take this little walk down the author aisle, so to speak. So I'm very excited to have you here today, Danny. Thanks for joining me. And I can't wait to like dive in with you about your book and
1: all that good stuff. So welcome, man. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rick. It's uh, it's a real pleasure to be on here, and I'm excited about uh, excited about this conversation. Cool.
0: So this is where Rick shuts up and you just go. I don't say anything else the rest of the podcast. Of course, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> I was like, really? Yeah. No, I'm. Uh, so I, I've actually freaked a couple of guests out. They're like, Are you serious? Like, yeah. I'm like, No, it's a joke. So um, so uh, yeah, so you're you know, born and raised in
1: good old Texas, right? Yeah, that's right. So uh, I was actually born in Dallas, uh, born at Methodist Hospital in Dallas, which is just about as Dallas you can get. Um, and my family lived there until um, I was six, and then we moved to Houston. My dad got a mm-hmm. transfer with his job, and and really kind of grew up from six until the time I went to college there in the Houston area. Um, so really, it was kind of in the in the context of Houston, you know that I right. I, first began to, you know, know that I was gay and, and process that. So, which, you know, was an interesting place in some respects to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people might know uh, a little bit about, um, you know, Houston, just in terms of, um, you know, it is in a very red state, but it's, uh, you know, has become a very blue city over the years. <laughs> right. Um, uh, really starting back in 1981, whenever Kathy Whitmire, she was the first uh, Democratic mayor of Houston and Uh, obviously as a woman and a Democrat, you know, that was a big deal for Houston. And she was a vocal advocate for the, uh, really the gay community, you know, sort of then it was just called the gay community, even though it included, you know, more than just men, but um, that was the umbrella term, you know, so, um, but I was also, you know, deeply embedded in a Christian context. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, there was just that tension of, you know, um, being aware of what I was hearing at church, but then also sort of realizing that sort of you know, the larger context, cultural context around me was telling me something different, or at least right. that there was some different voices in that bigger cultural context. So, um, so yeah, it was an inter- interesting time, you know, late 80s, early 90s to becoming, of course, that was also sort of, you know, just as the AIDS epidemic was um, really taking off. So it was yep. um, an interesting time to be growing up, you know, um, gay in Texas as a Christian and trying to sort out, you know, all sorts of things. <laughs> I can totally relate. Cause that's right. When everything was kind of unraveling
0: for me, we um, moved from Colorado to Arkansas. And, um, so my high school years were in Arkansas. And then I left and went to school in Tennessee for first couple of years of college and then ended up at Oklahoma state. And, um, was trying to figure all this out and, and did come out when I was in college and then was like, okay, well, I can't really be this and lots of, lots of pressures that everybody's heard. So I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details around that, but um, yeah. Yeah. I can actually relate to that feeling of, okay, here I am. And um, I love that you brought up, like, you know, that the mayor was very much supportive of gay, which at the mm-hmm. time was kind of the umbrella term, right? Right. And as you said that, one of the things that popped in my head is, I don't know about you, but it's been a big adjustment for me to listen to the the youngest generations now, like yeah. saying I'm queer, and I man, back in back in our day, that was like, nope. That doesn't yeah. cut it. That meant you like if somebody called you queer, that's like you better run and hide. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so how then, do you, you know, how just, does that affect you now? I mean, do, I, I'm always interested to see how people feel about. Well, now we're
1: queer. You know, I'm um, I'm one of the one of those people who like that label doesn't bother me at all because I think it mm-hmm. does hit at kind of the underlying, you know, um, at least for me, the underlying right. part of of what it means to be gay is. Mm-hmm. Um, not trying to sort of assimilate into, yeah. you know, uh, a heteronormative, you know, culture and, and gay sometimes, I mean, you know, there's certainly people for who, you know, uh, you know, straight people for whom, who the word gay is a big deal, but a lot of people, you know, don't mind that word so much, but like the weird, the word queer, you know, it can be a little more jarring right. for people. Right. And maybe that's a good thing, you know, that it's still, um, you know that that's still a way to remind people that you know um, that this that this you know identity is is not um, yeah it's different <laughs> right. and it is so different. yeah so 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 the so the term queer doesn't you know bother me um, at all yeah um, but you're right you know back in the late eighties early nineties um, I certainly wouldn't have ever thought of myself as that you know just right. because that was so offensive you know that just seems so. You know, that was cross dressing. That was, you know, right, things that, exactly. that I was, you know, very much afraid of at that time. You know, well, I was, so- af- I was, I
0: was afraid of my own shadow uh, at that time. It was, you know, knowing I was gay, it was, I didn't want anybody to see that part of me, you know, except yeah. in certain circles. There were certain circles where it was, and I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, probably more than I can recall at this point, but like there were circles within my own college experience where, mm-hmm you know, we were a very fundamental church Seventh Day Adventist church college, but we did some productions like we, we, we could do the sound of music and we could do certain because that was okay. You know, there wasn't anything risque <laughs> about those yet. Yeah. Even within all of us who were in the theatrics, you know, which is funny now, because now I know so many of the guys in the theater back then who are now also out and gay, but, Oh, we couldn't, we couldn't act like, oh, you know, any of this. And I remember I started doing like a quasi dance group, so to speak, on campus, which was totally like, uh-uh, Seventh-day Adventists do not do that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I put it in the form of an aerobics class. But like here I'd show up here, I would show up in my leg warmers. I'm like, really? People didn't know that this is who I was, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. so um, but again, I hit it because it was it was too scary, you know, yeah. to be that person. So, what was like a pivotal moment in that time frame for you that finally you're just like, I gotta let people see me.
1: Um, well, you know, really, it came. Um, I mean, it came after college. I mean, you know, I went to a, um, you know, a very conservative uh, Christian liberal arts college in Arkansas, and so you know, there were certainly looking back now. You know, I see, you know, there's a few guys that I know from that time who are certainly you know out now, and and some women. Um, you know, but at the time, it was just so kind of so far beyond the pale that there just wasn't any, you know, there wasn't really any time or space or opportunity for that. And so, in many respects, um, I would say, you know, that like when I was in college, I that was really when I really came to terms with the fact that I was gay. Um, right. You know, it was sort of like, okay, there's no more denying this. You know, in high school, I was kind of like, well, I mean, I don't know, like, am I, am I not? Like, I don't understand this, and so many other things going on in high school. But you know, by college, I was sure. And then you know, after college, you know, I tell people this, you know, sometimes um, about other things, but I think it's true here that, um, that, you know, my head made sense of things before like my heart or the rest of me was ready, you know, to sort of like jump into it. And so, you know, I mean, certainly by that time I was in my mid to late twenties, like I knew I was gay you know, I didn't think that I was ever going to change. I didn't really want to change. You know, it was sort of like I was kind of getting through that whole process, like right. mentally, you know, but there was still a part of me that was afraid because of family issues and friend issues. And I was still, still very tied up into, um, you know, church works. I was actually, you know, um, doing ministry for a few years after I left college. And so, you know, there was just no way that I could, that I could even begin to explore right. what that would look like for me. And so, um, you know, so I, I was living a double life, you know, I kind of knew inside what I believed about mm-hmm. myself and, and even got to the point where I was okay with that. But it took, you know, a, it took a few more years and really, to be honest, Rick, it was after I left full-time ministry that I was, that I was like, okay, now I can really start. And, and part of, part of why i left full-time ministry was simply because I knew that I couldn't teach and say the things that people expected me to say anymore. And so I, right. I knew just kind of from an integrity standpoint that I couldn't continue to take a salary, you know, <laughs> Right. Um, but also, you know, it just really gave me that freedom to sort of say like, okay, I can start figuring some things out for myself and I don't have to worry about, you know, what people are going to think or who's going to get upset and don't have to worry mm-hmm. about, you know, a paycheck anymore. So that's, you know, that's when I started teaching uh, when I was 31 uh, back mm-hmm. in the Dallas area, and so um, that was really kind of when I when I began the longer process, I guess, of of really coming out, and um, you know, and for me, there was a theological element to that at that point because my faith was still very central to my life at that time, um, and I knew that there was certainly, you know, there there's certainly a space within Christianity for you know, you know, full LGBT. TQ plus inclusion. Um, and so, you know, I started reading books that helped me to understand, uh, you know, some of the, the, the theology that kind of helps, you know, with that. And, um, you know, so I was going through that process, um, you know, kind of through my early thirties. Um, but yeah, but it was still, so in some ways maybe it was a bit slower for me, I think just because, um, because my faith was so central to me for that Mm -hmm. part of my life and rethinking it was scary Mm -hmm. and, and questioning all of that was scary. Um, and to be honest, you know, I didn't really have a lot of support to do that. I was doing a lot of that, you know, quietly. Um, and ironically, you know, it just sort of, it sort of reinforced that whole thing of like keeping things secret, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just like, I'd been secret about being gay for so long and then I was now sort of in this middle of, you know, kind of rethinking religious things and I was keeping that secret. And so, um, but, you know, slowly I began to talk to more people about that, to come out to more people, to share, you know, more right. of that with more people. Um, so it was uh, kind of a gradual process for me rather than a, like, you know, oh, suddenly I'm out and everybody knows and, and it's all sorted.
0: <laughs> it's interesting that you talk about that, because for me, I kind of had a similar experience. But when I was in college, more so actually more so when I was in. So the college I went to initially was in Tennessee, just outside Mm -hmm. of Chattanooga, a small little college, like maybe 500 students. Uh, And I found myself exploring religion so much more there because it was... So I lived in a small town in Arkansas um, Mm -hmm. at the time when I went to college. So yes, this was a small town too, but it was adjacent to Chattanooga. And at the time, Chattanooga wasn't a huge metropolis um but it was the closest thing to there was variety to life so to speak yeah yeah and so i took advantage of the opportunities when i could after the first year i mean first year we couldn't use our v quote couldn't use our cars except if we were going home for a weekend so i started using my car my second year to do lots of things (laughs) go to the bars (laughs) Um, because in Tennessee at the time, I, I did not even know what the drinking age now is. But at the time in Tennessee, it was 18 and you could drink. Right. So going to the bars, I started going to a dance class in, in town. But I also did start exploring other religions. Mm. And I'm really glad that I did. Because that's when my eyes started opening up to, okay, this was my segue of like not keeping things secret. And I actually started talking to my parents about exploring other religions in very offhanded ways, which pissed them off, quite honestly. I mean, they're like, what do you mean you just went to a Catholic church? What do you mean you went to? I'm like, I'm exploring because, hey, guess what? The first course we had to take, we had to take world religions in college. So I'm (laughs) like, wow, there's something else besides Seventh-day Adventism, even though, you know, the teacher did a pretty good job, but there was always that, but (laughs) but you know we're the we're the chosen religion right um yeah Yeah. so it was interesting to see that that was the precursor to me starting to say here here's this secret I'm unlocking for Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. and it was actually that I'm yeah it was that year that I actually came out to my parents about being gay as well which was you know on the heels of starting to talk about other religions, I was exploring. Of course, immediately that got shut down. But when you were talking about that, it, I hadn't really put that piece in my mind together. That yeah, this, looking at other religions actually helped me get prepared to go. Oh, here's another secret I need to yeah. talk to you about. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so as you started to move beyond that, and you started to mm. become very, more comfortable in yourself what was one of the biggest changes that happened? Because I know, you know, you left and you went back to work for a school district in Dallas. But as you started to, like, settle into you Mm -hmm. and teaching, what was something that's like, oh, okay, well, now I got to confront this too, if there was anything, because I had a couple of things I really had to confront as I like, okay, this is truly who I am. But I'm just curious what might you have confronted because okay here i am finally looking and seeing myself and
1: now i'm teaching anything up? um i think that um well i mean i'll just say there was it was a whole new world of trying to do a little bit of dating um Mm. you know uh, certainly you know by that point you know i was in my early 30s and and um you know and when I was in high school and college, you know, I had dated a few girls and young women, um, but it was always very awkward, you know, Um, and it always usually ended quite disastrously, um, as you can imagine. Um, You know, so like trying to figure out that whole world was, was, you know, new for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was also, you know, kind of eye-opening just in terms of, um, you know, meeting a real cross-section of, you know, men, men who had you know been out and quite open you know for 10 or 15 years or some like right. me who were you know sort of just recently so um you know and I didn't really you know uh, I didn't date a whole lot but you know I went on a few dates here and there and enjoyed that but it was also just sort of like daunting it was just sort of like wow this is like a huge thing and um uh and I would well, you know I would it just is say, a huge thing I, and yeah. I don't think
0: I don't think the younger generation well I don't okay I hate it when I start to generalize like this, but I'm okay. going to do it because you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 59 in a couple of days. So I'm just going to you know, say, hey, here's my sure. privilege of being older, right? Yeah. I don't know that the younger generation 100% gets what it was like back then. Yeah. Because there was always this constant looking over your shoulder, making mm. really being careful about what you said in certain spaces. Yeah. And even in a big city like Dallas, going could I get caught could I get caught you know I remember going I mean I I was in Abilene like the late 80s so 80 87 through 89 I believe I worked at Abilene Christian University and Hardin Simmons University so (laughs) so yeah um that was hmm um but there were times that I had to go to Dallas because mm-hmm. the company I worked for had regional sales or regional meetings for all of us who were food and beverage people at those universities. And I was already married by then. So this was kind of my little bit of escape time. And I remember going to a couple of the, then like what I could find as a gay club in Dallas and mm-hmm. one of the gay bathhouses in Dallas and going, this is scary. This is scary. And it was scary on many fronts because we were still in the throes, big time in the throes of the whole AIDS epidemic. Yeah. But I remember coming out of one of the bar, well, even more so. Well, the bathhouse, I wasn't as, it's weird. You would think coming out of the bathhouse would be really scary. Well, they had the door on the back side, So it's like, yeah, it wasn't on the street. Right. But I remember coming mm-hmm. out of the gay bar going, wait, there's a lot of people in Dallas who know me. And I'm like, Really? You think out of this entire freaking population, <laughs> somebody's going to see you, but these yeah. are the sort of things that, yeah. and I know there's kids today that can are concerned about that too, but it was such a different, yeah, it was just a different world back then.
1: You know, and I think the other thing too, I mean, there's, there's two things, but I'll, I'll say this for sure that, um, you know, I taught elementary school. Yep. Um, and so I was very conscious of like, well, first of all, I was conscious of the fact that, you know, in Texas, you could be fired for being gay, Yep. you know, no. um, and I was also very conscious of the fact that, you know, I was teaching a room full of eight-year-olds and, yep. you know, what happens when parents find out that I'm gay, like, like then it's sort of that, why did he become a teacher? And, you know, why is he so, you know, friendly and outgoing? Well, because with the we're kids all groomers. And, That's yes, why. I mean, you know, it's just like, even that, you know, uh, you know, just realizing that, um, like you said, you know, I. The dates that I went on, they were, you know, like we didn't go to like clubs or bars. It, we went, you know, to restaurants. And yep. I think, I think we probably just looked like, you know, two friends. I mean, yep. honestly, I don't think anything came across, especially because none of them were like serious relationships. We were like, you know, holding hands or cuddling or anything. Right. You know? So I think, you know, it just looked like, you know, if I was out with a straight friend. And at the same time, you know, just being aware of the fact that, like, like, you know, oh my God, what if, you know, someone on the school board, is here mm-hmm. and gets the wrong idea or what if, you know, a parent or, you know, a fellow teacher or, you know, just that whole, you know, fear thing. And you think, I mean, that was barely, that was barely 15 years ago, but it was still, it was, I mean, it's um yeah. Anyway. And so, so that was part of it, um, you know, part of that. And
0: well, it's interesting when you do put these things in capsules like that, it's like, okay, hmm. here we are 2022. Yeah. I graduated High school in 81 got out of graduated college in 86 or 87 so let's just let's kind of just put that all in perspective yeah. because it's not that long ago and people yeah. are like oh wow that's a long okay stonewall yes stonewall is a little bit old. <laughs> yeah 57 years ago we get that yeah but when you put it in the perspective and then here we are today with all the craziness that's potentially brewing <laughs> to go put us back in that same sort of yeah. craziness all over again I don't know that people can grasp, again, the younger generation can grasp, and I'm hoping they don't grasp. I hope they are so fired up about so much of this that they're like, Mm -hmm. ah, we are not going backwards. (laughs) Yeah. But I think this is why it's important that kind of what you've already done with your book gets written because it opens people's minds to here's a look at this. Here's what it was like. Here's where we are and how important is. And I love the title of the book, the UIC, because I just feel like this is a piece of, you know, the more I kept looking at the title, I'm like, this is really a great freaking way to talk about coming out and being who you are Mm -hmm. so that people can see the you that I see. I want to see the UIC. I don't want... I don't want to, I always talk about Martha Beck and one of her um, lines that she said once when I saw her being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey. Um, so for those of you who don't know who she is, she's a well, pretty well-known life coach and she's actually a lesbian as well. Because, you know, life coaches are all gay, right? Let's just go there. Um, <laughs> no offense to all you life coaches who aren't, just saying there's that, there's that interesting assumption that shows up, oh, that's why you're gay, so you decided to become a life coach. No, that's not why I decided to do that. But one of the things she said on the Oprah show is she talked about pretending and she goes, Mm. let's just put it in context here. If you're pretending to be somebody that you're not, and I may be doing the same thing in a different scenario, then guess what? We're having a pretend relationship because we're not really having a relationship, either one of us with the person that we see. Yeah, and that's always stuck with me. And I know some listeners and go, yeah, Rick, we've heard you say that a million times. I'm going to continue <laughs> to say that a million times because I think it's a beautiful, encapsulated version of why coming out is so important. I want people to see me, mm, the yeah. real me. Yeah. So... You wrote this book, the UIC, and um, it's just gotten released. It got released in July. Congrats, man. Always Thank you. love seeing other authors get their books out in the world. <laughs> so, of course, I'm sure you're, you're getting asked all these kind of questions. and I hate asking these kind of questions, but I'm going to ask it in a slightly different way. If this book had not come out of you, hmm. what would be different for you? Had not come out, not come out. <laughs> If you mm-hmm. hadn't actually let this out of you, what do you think would be different for you?
1: Well, you know, I think the book allowed me to do a couple things. It, um, it allowed me to, I know this sounds funny because, um, the book is, I think the book is very, uh, lighthearted. It's uplifting. It's warm. It's funny. Mm-hmm. It's got a couple of intense scenes. Um, but, but the book allowed me to grieve a little bit for, mm-hmm. um, the part of me when I was younger that, um, didn't have the kind of experiences that I was able to get to these two characters. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and I don't think, I don't think that's something that I even had ever thought about that, that, that there was some sadness and grief in me about the fact that, Mm. um, you know, that I, uh, you know, that my experience as a teenager and, and young man was, was, um, kind of truncated really in a way, in the sense that, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't have, you know, a relationship like I wanted to have a relationship. Um, You know, the relationships that I tried to have with girls were, you know, not 100% honest. Um, You know, the very good relationships that I had with a number of, you know, good friends in high school and college, um, you know, there was that part of me that was hiding, part of me that was scared, part of me that they would, especially with my Some one or two of my close friends, you know, they would catch me looking at them the wrong way, you know. Right. So, anyway, you know, all all of that is just to say, you know, that I think it allowed me to grieve a little bit for, you know, that part of me that, um, that probably needed that, that. Um, and then the other thing, um, you know, that it allowed me to do was I discovered this sense of, um, like authority within myself that. I didn't need anybody's permission to tell that story. And, and I say it like that because there were a couple of times when I was writing the book that I thought, oh, I don't know that I should say this, or I don't know that I should let these characters do this, you know? And I thought, well, who the hell do you think is going to give you permission to tell this story the way <laughs> you want to tell it? Um, and I know that sounds, you know, odd for a, you know, 40 something year old man to sort of like you know, have to worry about the way something's going to sound or come across. But, um, but it just reminded me, you know, of the fact that, um, you know, that some of those, some of that, some of that, those inhibitions, you know, are still there mm-hmm. and that, um, you know, maybe part of, you know, my task for the rest of my life is just to kind of keep giving myself permission, you know, to say that, um, you know, I am who I am and, you know, I like what I like and I love who I love and. Right. The stories that I tell um, are not going to be something that everybody wants to read, but I think that you know there are people who want to read these stories, young and old alike, and uh, and I'm going to keep doing that. And so it was it was a very it was a very liberating process in that sense. Like I said, just kind of you know it's like I gave myself permission just to say, yeah, you can do this, and you can do it the way you want to, and you can tell it the way you want to, and we'll go from there. So. <laughs>
0: I love that you use the word inhibition because there is that. I mean, like I said, I already said, I'm going to be 59 in a couple of days. And there are still moments in my world as a gay man. it's been since 1999 that I, well, officially came out. I came back clear back in whatever, you know, 1984, 82, whatever it was, somewhere in that range, 82, 83 but there's still moments that I find myself inhibiting myself and yeah. it has nothing to do, honestly, with anything else than the confidence that got shaken mm. clear back all those years ago. Yeah. Now what I've learned about those kind of inhibitions is to actually stare them in the face and go, okay, what is the real reason I'm holding myself back? Sometimes there's other reasons, mm. but I know that that emanating energy comes yeah. from everywhere I had to inhibit myself for all those years, like, don't say the wrong thing. Don't move the wrong way. Don't flail your hands, Like, yeah. all those things, right? Right. And not that I'm a big, you know, flailing hands guy. Of course, nobody can see me because I'm just flailing my hands all over the place right now <laughs> on camera. But um, right. I'm, a, I'm one of those. I do use my hands a lot because I speak on stages and it's always like the hand is the, you know, the thing to make the point and everything. Yeah. But I caught myself over the weekend. Um, we had the beautiful... Experience of going with one of our our oldest daughter to see Moulin Rouge in Los Angeles this weekend. And there's a very special space in my heart for that that movie and now the show, because it was one of the first, I would say, pop culture things that really bound my husband and I together together. And then it kind of became a family thing because we always would all listen to the soundtrack, all four of us, um, younger daughter as well, in the car and we'd sing and all this sort of stuff. And even in the darkness of the theater, when there's two songs that come up that are like the song, I remember like driving home from Palm Springs one night and we lived in Southern California. We're driving from Palm Springs back to Riverside where we lived and we had the soundtrack on and my husband and I just singing to the soundtrack. And of course the song comes up in the theater and, you know, it's a dark theater. And I just, I was taken over with emotion and I reached over to grab his hand and I, there was a little bit of a tentative, like pause. Mm. And I'm like, no, fuck this. I, I am going to hold my husband's hand and I don't care. Not that anybody could have really seen. I mean, you know, but I'm like, I didn't used to have those inhibitions, but suddenly here we are and weird things starting to happen in our country again. And I'm like, should I, you know, I think about it a lot now about being here. You can't hide that I'm gay because I've got two big podcasts that are all about being gay and I'm starting to come to terms with my own inhibitions again. Like, don't, Mm. don't let anything hold you back. Don't let it hold you back. So, um, so as you were writing the the book, I'm sure you've been asked this a hundred times, what part of it, is some of your own experience which i know there's probably hundreds of it but uh, you had to have infused some of yourself into the book would be by assumption
1: yeah i mean there's a little bit um uh just in terms of like chronology it's sort of my you know like i i was the same age as the character you know at the at the point where the story begins you know when he's in seventh grade and so um you know we were born in the same year uh you know it's set in houston so that part you know is autobiographical um, there's a few of his character traits, you know, that are similar to mine and a few of the same, uh, a few of the same likes, but, um, but otherwise he was pretty different. Um, you know, I, uh, and I tried to do that pretty intentionally because, um, I didn't really want the book to be about me necessarily, you know, um, and I, I wanted to explore, you know, almost sort of like, you know, just what might've been different, you know, Uh, For me, if things had been different, and so um, I like to tell people that you know the book is not autobiographical, but it's very personal. If that makes any sense, you know. So there's a little overlap between me and the central character Alex, but otherwise, you know, he's a different he's a different person than I am.
0: (laughs) And I think that's what's so beautiful about being an author is you can bring your own self into it, just like in the podcast. Here, there's times that I will talk about stuff, and I purposefully won't say oh this was my experience because I don't want it to be oh this was me it's all about me Mm -hmm. because it'll be Mm -hmm. something that I realize is you know here's something that I've seen happen for many people in their journeys coming out of the closet and I'll go into something and it's not because I want to hide anything it's like I don't want it to be all about me I want to like level the playing field that this is something that happens to many people in their journeys you know and how they see it, because at that moment, I want to make sure that people feel that inclusive piece, like here we are. And mm-hmm. as I'm writing book number two right now, it's completely oh, kind of completely different because it's not geared towards the LGBTQ community. It's geared towards all those other weirdos in the world. I'm kidding, people. I want you to read my new book, too. <laughs> but um, it's it's geared for the mainstream kind of audience of like, you know how does anybody live a life without apologies? And even as I'm working through that edit and going, well, does that connect with everybody or does that need to actually be about me? Or should I like make this more inclusive? I'm really looking through that lens at times, because I don't think all the time we have to put ourselves front and center as we yeah, write our books. So, yeah. What's the thing you
1: learn most about yourself writing the book? I think I learned, <laughs> um, maybe I'm more of a romantic at heart than I realized (laughs) Um, because it was really important for me, um, you know, for the, I mean, these are teenagers that I'm writing about, Um, you know, so teenage love is, you know, not the same thing as, as adult love. Um, Hmm. But I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be very believable. Like I wanted it to be that these two teenagers fell hard for one another in a way that's like, you know, it took them a while to figure out like what it was, what it really was and why they felt the way they felt, um, you know. um, And I, I mean, I really enjoyed writing, you know, sort of the, um, you know, that aspect of the book, kind of that slow burn. And then what happened, you know, sort of once the the flame really got lit. And so, which surprised me um, just because I'm, I mean, I wouldn't have said before I wrote the book that I didn't think I wasn't, you know, kind of a romantic at heart, but I didn't think I was maybe... (laughs) I didn't think I was maybe that much of a romantic at heart. And so, um, so that was kind of sweet, you know, I guess, just to just to realize that I had that in me, in a way that I didn't quite didn't quite realize. Um, Yeah, so that was, that was certainly something that I think I, I came to a better sense of myself at the end. Yeah, I I was shocked as I finished up
0: my first book, how, I mean, I knew I have a quick wit and can be kind of a smart ass, but I didn't realize how sassy I can be at times, but it actually works. Mm. And I started leveraging that more and more like, okay, let's, especially if it's like an intense situation, can't talk this morning because I haven't had enough coffee, but it's interesting to see when you recognize that's actually one of your quote talents hmm. how you can leverage that to really have beautiful impact and get people to like oh okay it's kind of like when you have those touchy conversations how can you make it lighter and of course there's some people who read the book and they're like you just make fun of this whole thing and you don't have any and i'm like no you're you're missing the point. And I'm sorry, you can't see the beauty and the humor behind someone's coming out process. I'm sorry. That's where you're at. So I love that you're kind of playing in the same realm. There's some humor in it. I, I read through some of it and did some quick glancing through and I just, I don't know I know. It's one of those books. I'm like, well, where the hell was this book when I was going through all this,
1: you know? So uh, yeah, that's good a, on you, man. Yeah. And I really wanted to, um, you know, that's, that's some advice that I'd heard from, you know, people in terms of, you know, write the kind of book that you wish Mm -hmm. you could have read at some point or even read now, you know, and, uh, um, that was important for me to, um, you know, to tell a story that I hope, um, and I mean, like you said, you know, there, there is a, you know, there's some generational differences, you know, a a lot of, a lot of young gay men now, gay teens, you know, aren't a different place but Mm -hmm. there's an awful lot of them that are not you know especially the ones that live you know in the south or in certain parts of the west you know or Mm -hmm. even the midwest the north uh
0: there's kids all there's people all over the place
1: yeah yeah and that's the thing and and the thing that i love
0: that you know yes this is it's a story about younger gay men but it's always interesting when i have an author like this on that You know, my crowd, most of my gay male crowd is not younger. They're 40s plus because that's who I work with. Right. Yeah. And they're always like, oh, I can't wait to read this book. I can't read. I'm like, okay, I get it. There's probably a little bit of like reliving a part of their life that they didn't get to live. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's so much to be learned when you enable people to see themselves um, from a space that they didn't get to live and now yeah. go apply it to, you know, how they are living. So um, mm, but mm-hmm.
1: I love this so much. Really, really do love it, man. So
0: you're working on book number two,
1: right? Yeah. It's, I pretty much finished the second one. It's, it's, okay. it's done. So yeah. Awesome. <laughs> if
0: you want to come finish mine, that would be great. I'm at that weird place where it's like, and again, my listeners are like, yeah, Rick, we keep hearing this, so shut up about it. But it's just, I'm editing it before I decide whether I'm going to like go shop it out or if I'm just going to self-publish. And it's one of those edits where it's like, I wrote it over so much different time that I want to get the voice consistent throughout. I just hate doing this. which is probably why it's not getting done. So every weekend it's like, okay, I'll do a little bit more. And then of course, oh no, the kids are coming to visit this weekend. So it's not going to get done. Oh, we're going out. wine. Okay. We're going out wine tasting. Can't get it done, (laughs) but it will get done. So, well, that's awesome, man. So again, the name of the book is? The UIC. Awesome. And people can get that pretty much anywhere out there on
1: where you can get books. Is that correct? Yeah, you can get it uh, at Amazon, Target.com. If you want to support a local bookstore, just go in and tell them that uh, it's available on Ingram, which is a worldwide book distributor. So yeah, if you yeah. if you tell a, a bookstore that it's on Ingram, they'll know how to order it for you really quickly and, and easily. So, uh, so yeah, it's out there in the world. And um, I'm hoping that it will, you know, touch touch the lives of yeah, young readers and middle-aged readers and older readers. And, and who,
0: you're not just encouraging people to get the book to help you, you're also that's giving back some of the proceeds from the book to a very wonderful organization.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, um, I'm donating a, a pretty good chunk of the proceeds to the Trevor project, which is of course a, uh, nationwide crisis intervention and support, uh, organization for, uh, LGBTQ plus and questioning young people. So, and they've had a, a pretty dramatic spike in, um, in uh what's the word i'm looking for uh usership demand on their service you know especially throughout the pandemic when you know a lot of kids were and um, i'm sure it will only
0: increase some more if things keep going the way unfortunately that they feel like they might be going so yeah uh, that's right so unfortunately i don't want to end on that negativity because i believe if we all rally if we truly like you know and i'm not saying that women haven't rallied on where they need to rally with abortion rights and stuff. I don't, that, I don't think we're done there either, but I think Mm -hmm. the power of being out there and using our voices, however we feel comfortable is what will continue to ensure that we are not considered second-class citizens. I mean, that's the bottom line. So yeah, exactly. Very cool. So, well, as I usually do, and I'm going to do it again today, Anybody who would like a copy of Danny's book if you email me at ricketricklemans.com at I will give the first book to anybody who sends me that email I will get it shipped to you on my dime because I believe in supporting my fellow authors and get a copy of it sent to you with the disclaimer that if you've already gotten a copy of a book from me, you don't get to get a second one. So (laughs) let some other people get those books. But um, anyway, well, Danny, I so appreciate you, man. And thank you for doing what you're doing out there to make the world a better, more inclusive
1: space for everyone under the queer umbrella. And um, any last words before we wrap it up, man? Well, for, I mean, you're, you're welcome. And thank you for, for allowing me to come on here and to share a little of my story and to share a little bit about Alex and Brandon and their story too. And That's awesome. Um, like you said, it's just uh, um, we can't give up and we can't take take for granted some of the gains that we've made, you know, over the last decade or so. So um, yeah, I would just encourage everyone to, you know, um, don't let up the pressure and, uh, and be out there and, let your voice be heard however you can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again
0: for being here, man.
1: And um,
0: thanks everyone for listening. And we will be back with another episode in just another week. So take care everyone and keep stepping out, stepping up and stepping in to living your life. No excuses, no fears, no apologies. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us